This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook Volume 2, and today is December 26, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, I'm Marshall Hausfeld, and I was at WRHU from the fall of 1987 through May of 1991. Well, welcome back. So, Thank you so much for doing this again. Um, I know we had some great stories the first time, and I'm looking forward to your stories now. But before we get into this, just as a reminder, uh, what were the positions or titles you might have held at the station? Uh, no official positions. I was a sports guy. Uh, for those four years, working under three great sports directors, Stu Rushfield, Steve Goldman, and Stephen Oling. Um, so I always said that I was the assistant to the assistant to the assistant sports director. Not bad. And you did play-by-play and color and, and, and hosting and things like that. And updates and engineering, yes. Okay. Um, okay. So was there ever a reason that you didn't apply to be sports director or another position during your time period? Because, you know, you, the stories we told earlier or you told last time were you were very involved in the station, but you didn't go for sports director or anything else. Is there any particular reason why? Yeah, well, I always defined my tenure at RHU into two parts. My first two years when I thought that I wanted to be on air, mm. and I thought that I wanted to be the next Costas or Al Michaels or Dick Enberg. And then the second two years when I realized that wasn't going to happen, um, that I probably was best suited uh, to visual storytelling. And I spent much more time uh, on the TV side of of, uh, of Hofstra. And I still spent time doing games, um, but I didn't uh, think of it as, as, a, as a career path. Mm. So, and I, and I had spread myself pretty thin by my junior year. Um, I had... I was a, I was a production grant. I was I had an internship. I at ABC once a week. I was working at Sports Channel twice a week. Um, being a grant, you were dealing uh, with professors and being a, a TA for a lot of a lot of classes and a lot of seven a.m. crew calls and a lot of um, positions within HTV. I was a studio supervisor, so seven a.m. I was I was the guy. You know, when you had your lighting crew, I was signing the sheet. So mm. it was a lot of a lot of hours, and there just really wasn't enough time. And you know, trying to have a social life, uh, there just wasn't enough time to be anything. Uh, you know, going for for sports director it was just enough to be able to do uh, a handful of games. Mm. And and to find a couple of minutes to sleep here and there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, well. It, it, I think we've talked about this off the mic as, as as well, that there was a real, I think, divide between the radio community at the time and the TV community, not only because they were in different buildings on different parts of campus, but because there was, there was just sort of a, a, a different thinking about that. And you were someone who lived in both worlds and obviously thrived and did well in both worlds. What do you remember about that, that, that time and the difference between the, the TV folks and the radio folks at the time? Yeah, and actually, there really weren't that many of us that had feet in both camps. Mm. It was really, I I don't want to say us against them. It wasn't like that. But I think not being in the same building led to a different kind of uh, hierarchy, I guess. And there wasn't Mm. a school for communications. It was a communications department that was part of arts and sciences, and the TV department had the shiny new studios yeah. with, with you know, all this new equipment. 
and it housed the broadcast journalism department and the journalism department and even the film department. And the radio station was in another building in a basement with equipment from that, that was 20 years old. Yeah. And the radio station, you could be a non-communications major and be a major part of the radio station. You could be an English major that loved music and you could be a music director at WRHU. Mm-hmm. You could not do that at the TV station because you had to have taken a, a bunch of TV classes to be able to produce a show, write a show, direct a show, be on the tech crew of the show. The only thing you could do, you could be maybe in front of the camera. I know Andrew Schmertz, Steve Goldman were in front of the camera for the for the new shows. Um but you couldn't come up with a with a program idea and say, I want to produce a pilot for HTV that you couldn't do. But you could do that as a you could do that and do that for the radio station. So there was a difference there, which was a huge advantage for RHQ, I thought, mm. uh, for for from a from a student standpoint. But I found RHU to be more collegial and you know, teamwork worthy and HTV more clicky, mm-hmm. I guess to put it, to put a word, which was actually very good, uh, very good practice for the real world. Cause that's kind of how the real world ends up working. TV is a, the TV industry is very clicky. Um, but there was, do you, mean, do you oh. mean in terms of a click of TV people, uh, focusing on that or were there clicks within that like well we're going to do some sports stuff or we're going to do some comedy stuff was it was it like sub clicks or was it just sort of us and uh, yeah them? it was like it was almost like a personality thing I don't I don't mm. know how, how, how to say it how to yeah. say it without ap- appearing just crass but <laughs> that's kind of how it how it sometimes was but there was a people looked down on the radio station. And I think it was because they were in a different building. They didn't, maybe they didn't play the type of music everybody on a college campus thought they should be playing. It catered more to, it was a community station. So no, people weren't, didn't want to listen to classical music in the morning, but that's what paid the bills. Yeah. They didn't want to listen to Irish country on the weekends, but that's what paid the bills. They, those people, you know, the people that listened to those shows donated, donated money. Yeah. Nobody was donating money to watch your HTV show. So that's what mm-hmm. I was so I um I would like try to explain to them why the radio station was acting in, in that way and why, you know, it's a it's a non-commercial station, but I bet you they could get Campus Pizza to sponsor an hour of airwave. Mm-hmm. You try to get Campus Pizza to sponsor a 30 second commercial of news and views who the, who's buying that who's buying that airtime because no one's watching it hmm. you, kinda, you couldn't watch it it's kind of interesting that that you know the real world aspect of the tv world where it was kind of clicky and personality based and like this is the thing that we're doing but the radio station was more you know serving a public need whereas i i my impression I didn't do anything with TV during my years and we overlapped a little bit. My impression of TV is, well, this is the thing that I want to do because that's what I want to do. And that's what we're doing as opposed to uh, at the radio station, we were like, well, Irish country's popular and we have a lot of folks that want to do that. And we have a lot of people that want to listen to this. And so we were actually serving a public need, which is more real world. So it's kind of interesting how the, the different worlds are serving different purposes in different ways. 
Right. I mean, the radio station, you know, they broadcast. You are yeah. broadcast journalism major at HTV. You're doing a, a package for news and views. Nobody sees it. It's an exercise for a class, but nobody could see it. So there's value in, in the exercise. But at the end of the day, if you want to broadcast journalistically, you need to be at the radio station because mm. that's who broadcasts. And that's what I would you know, try to explain to you know, to, to people saying, oh, well, the radio station's this, the radio station's that. The radio station does what we want to do. You couldn't, for example, there was a, a, a thing, an offshoot of the TV department called the TV Institute, hmm. which um, is a university-based, a university-based something or other, where they had a production truck, the kind of truck you would see outside sporting events. And... They had it, and it was parked outside of Dempster Hall, and students never were able to use it. They never used it for one remote. They used it for to shoot their university commercials, corporate communication, something like that. But I had asked, hey, can we, you know, and I wasn't the only student that thought this, hey, we have this truck. Hmm. Can we go down to the PFC and get three cameras and broadcast a basketball game? I don't need to do the play-by-play. I'd rather be in the truck. I'd rather right. be producing it and and do that. The radio station does 50 games, 60 games a year. We can't do one. And trying to get that through the administration was pulling teeth. No, nope, mm. that's not that's not that's not what we do here. Not what we do here. It should exactly be what we do here. They had those uh presidential conferences on the yeah. campus. And uh, I remember one year because I was I was a poli sci minor, so I kind of so I kind of knew, you know, some of the the people that were running them. So I think my junior year it was the Ford Conference, mm-hmm. and they had some pretty heavy hitters. I mean, I I, I was in the history, but they had Cheney and Rumsfeld were, were there. They were both chiefs of staff in and Ford's cabinet, yeah. um, and they were going to be on on the campus. And I said, why aren't we doing one of the panels in Studio A with an audience, and why aren't we shooting it? And they looked at me like, or this was when I brought this up to the the chairman of the of the comm department. They said, "Well, that's not no." Like, no, <laughs> it's like it's a what? And I said, "Well, why aren't we shooting the the Shakespeare Festival at the Playhouse? Like, wouldn't showing Twelfth Night on quote unquote HTV broadcast be better than showing you know a Com One Twenty Two show that?" You know, wasn't really a broadcast-worthy show. It was a nice exercise for a class, but it wasn't really a a polished production. But mm. wouldn't a, 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 wouldn't doing Twelfth Night from the Playhouse be better? And I said no. So, but these are things that the radio station would do regularly: the election night coverage, um, the live dramas, and it was just it was just baffling to me, um, and and frustrating for me that those things weren't done on, on the TV level. Cause that's really what I wanted to get into. Right. To, and, and to have the ideas for these things and not be able to do it. I think for students that came after us, when the two, when the radio and TV and film all sort of came together in the same building, there's much more opportunity for, I, I guess they would call it synergy today or yes. these opportunities, but that just wasn't the case. And, and I, I, I love these conversations because it gives people a window into what was happening before. And you mentioned doing the classics during the day. And that came directly from President Short, who said, if I'm going to give you guys money 
to operate the station on a, you know, full day basis or not quite full, but, but most of the day, if you're going to do that, I want this, I sure. want classical from 9am until 3pm or whatever it was given, given the time. And it's hard for people to, to wrap their heads around and go, well, the funding depended on this. So we had to do it. That's, that's just the way that it was at the time. And, and then there are these roadblocks that you're talking about and it's uh I don't know. I, my, I think my blood pressure is going up a little bit because I'm remembering how frustrating it was. The the things that we wanted to do and and they were limited opportunities. But um, but you saw opportunities uh, and and that got pushed back. Was that getting pushed back from the communications department or was that from yes. the school? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it never even got to the school level, and I oh. certainly didn't have the contacts within the school level to push it you know, to some, you know, Dean or, or something like that. I didn't, I didn't have that. I went to, you know, the people in the department that would be, you know, the, whose help we would need to get this done. Hmm. And they're like, uh, no, nah, that, that requires a whole lot more, a whole lot more something that, you know, it wasn't, you know, engineering had to be involved and, and right. this, it's like, that's a TV Institute thing. That's not what we do. We're, you know, we're, we're teaching com arts. We're mm. not, we're not dealing with, with that, which, which was a frustrating thing because I came from a high school where that's what we did. We shot right. games and we shot, um, we shot school plays and, and had live news shows and the radio station did those types of things. And it was amazing that the radio station did a whole lot more with a whole lot less in terms of equipment and, I think certainly now, because I watched online, I watched, I think Hofstra did something called Hofstra Votes from mm-hmm. the last election, and it was it was tremendous. It was, yeah. it was great. It was exactly what I wished the TV department could have done in conjunction with the radio department, in conjunction with the radio station back then. And there was that interaction between the two, and there was also uh, the public relations department. You yeah. know, PR majors, journalism majors, broadcast journalism majors, TV majors, and radio majors actually working together on a single large project and having it and, and having it broadcast. That's huge. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, yeah, the technology wasn't all there in 1989 or 1990, um, but it was there to do it on, a, on a, at least a smaller level. And yeah. uh, I regret that that was not done while I was a student there. Cause that would have been a gas. Yeah. I, I think today the, the, the way the, the media landscape, the professional media landscape has changed is that you have to be able to do social media. You have to be able to do TV. You have to be able to do radio or podcasting or uh, because they all sort of blend together. But at the time, again, it was a different time and a different mindset. Well, this equipment's meant for this and it's expensive right. and it's time consuming. And this equipment is meant for the, other thing and so they really were separate worlds and in 2023 2024 it's hard for us to go oh yeah it was it was you know everything's together now it was very different back then mm-hmm. yeah so uh it's 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 frustrating but but obviously things have evolved over time and changed so um i want to get again, back and, and having and having the having the station in the building and having yeah. a, a an actual school for communications i think and obviously the success the the, the radio station has had in terms of all, all the awards. I remember having interns come in when you know, I was at NBC, I'm at NBC and when mm-hmm. I, when I was actually working in at 30 rock and we'd occasionally get some, some Hofstra interns in and I'd ask them about 
about the radio station. He goes, oh, yeah, they're great. They, they, they win Marconi's. They win all sorts of they, – they do all sorts of stuff. They got the Islanders, uh, all, all this stuff. So it has a much – I think on campus a much better reputation than it did when I was a student – than when I was a student there. Yeah. I want to get back to – you were talking about some of the, the courses that you had to take – in tv and you weren't allowed to do things unless you took certain courses and so forth is that is that sort of because the equipment in your mind do you think it was because the equipment was new or because time and space were scarce or was it they have to winnow it down or is it just a different mindset well htv was basically a class Uh, Mm. it was it was a combination of you know directing class and producing class and actual making a show you couldn't make a show unless you were in COM 122. Right. And you couldn't be in COM 122 unless you took COM 119 and COM 12 or COM and COM 11. And to be a radio major, the only COM class you had to take, I think, was COM 11. I didn't think you had to go anything past that if you were a radio major to be, you know, and you could, you can go by without taking any other TV classes. Right. But without taking those other TV classes, you wouldn't be able to be on a crew you wouldn't be able to run camera you wouldn't be able to be you know wouldn't be able to direct or run or be a td or anything like that because you have to have taken those classes where at the radio station i never took the announcing the uh, announcing class for credit i never took two track or four track but i was allowed to be on the air i was mm-hmm. allowed to make a, a halftime piece you know that i had to cut together video uh cut together audio tape and put music together for an interview that Stu Rushfield helped me with, obviously, because I didn't know the ins and outs back then, but I put it together and it was for air. Um, There was nothing like that. If you were in a TV major, you couldn't just walk in without taking those classes. Yeah. And I think it's a physically different setup just in terms of putting on a TV show, whether it's for for credit or, or whatever, is that you need a camera crew, you need a, a sound yeah. crew, you need lighting. Whereas with the radio station, one person or two people could go in and, and make something happen. So I think the the actual physical you know limits of doing TV actually factored in as well. So it's it's not it's I I want to sort of state that for those who maybe do or don't know it's not that we're we're dumping on the TV people or saying it's it was worse it's just it's a different requirement to put on a program uh, in radio versus TV. Right, but what better way to learn teamwork and all those things than to do that? Because mm-hmm. having been a part of a crew, at, you know, in in high school. I knew what a big deal it was, but yeah. it was a. It wasn't just a learning experience. It was big, and it wasn't just you know when you go to an employer and you tell them, "Oh, I worked on this equipment and this equipment." Yeah, but what'd you do? And if mm. you said, "Well, I worked on this live remote, uh, you know, uh, newscast. I worked on this studio, bro- you know, this studio thing for the Gerald Ford conference," it's a much bigger deal saying than I know how to use an Ikigami camera. Mm. And that's because equipment comes and goes and changes, but having that experience working with a crew and working with people is much more important in the long run. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for, for sharing all that. I, I, like I said, it's, it's a real window into how things were at the time. And uh, any number of people have come and said, well, I thought about going to Syracuse or I thought about going to Emerson or Fordham. And I was told you can't touch any of the radio equipment until you're a junior or senior. So I went to Hofstra because you could get hands on it, whether that was Jeff Krause's time or with Bruce Avery or now with John Mullen, that's always been an attractive thing 
to bring in. And so I think it's really illuminating to, to show that the difference in mindset and the, the capabilities at that time. I really appreciate your, your insight on that a great deal. Yep. Um, so who were the people when you were doing games with, you mentioned a couple names, you mentioned Stu and, and a few other people, but who are the people that you were always working with at the station at the time? Um, well, the sports department back then, um, I said, Steve Goldman, Stephen Oling, Tony Sabilla, Jack Staczynski, um, Jay Brayman, Charlie Cusimano, um, a lot of, a lot, lot of fun times, a lot of great trips. I mean, I love, you know, just thinking, you know, the road trips that we took mainly for, mainly for basketball. Um, and, but new year's coming up. I remember, you know, two new year's trips that I took one with Tony to uh, wake forest. We had a, it was a women's basketball tournament and it was like a five day, three game women's tournament over new year's. So it was 1988 into 89. And we were going to go do, and, and do three, three women's games and we show up, you know, we take the flight to, I think, I guess it was to Raleigh and we get off the plane. I get my, my, my suitcase. Cause this was a, it wasn't just a weekend. This was a five day trip. So it was a, where you had to check bags hmm. and I got my bag and we're waiting for Tony's bag and we're waiting for the equipment and neither came. Oh, no. um, Delta lost his stuff and lost the, and lost the, all the equipment. So it would have made for a, a very difficult, difficult broadcast. Um, so we kind of go to, you know, they have a lost and found and they're like, uh, well, you're, it either went to Pittsburgh or Hawaii. That was <laughs> that's what Delta said. And if it went to Pittsburgh, we can get it back to you within 24 hours. If it went to Hawaii, uh, you might have some other issues and i'm like we need to find a radio shack and a gap that's what we need here um if we're gonna if we're gonna do this so fortunately it was pittsburgh the 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 equipment came we had shown up our first game wasn't scheduled until january 2nd so we had a, a couple of day window that we didn't need the equipment that day or even the next day but they got it they delivered it to the hotel so crisis crisis averted in uh in, in north carolina Wow. So, so you got both the equipment and Tony's bag as well. Yes. Yes. Oh. They both came. They had a lovely time in, uh, in, in three rivers. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's, that's uh, my, my, my heart was, was, you know, racing thinking about that. And I, I know the way the story is going to end, but at the same time, just the, the tension of that, that sort of thing. So I know you've got a lot of road trip stories, but is, is there one that you always tell? Is there a story that you always tell about your time working at WRHU? Yeah, it's sort of like the bookend trip, and it wasn't even a trip per se because it was just Philadelphia. Um, and the last time we, we we talked, I'd mentioned like the first time I was on the air and the misadventures I had, uh, not being able to recognize because I didn't have glasses at the time, mm-hmm. being able to read the numbers on the back of the jersey, so I got confused on who the starting quarterback was, and that was my introduction to uh, to sports broadcasting at the radio station. So my by my senior year, I had been doing fewer and fewer games, but um, I was do- doing this one. It was toward the end of the year in Philadelphia. We were playing Drexel University on a Saturday afternoon. 
and Tom Rigotti was going to be doing his first game as a play-by-play guy. And we were going to go to Philly, and Stephen Oling, who was the sports director, had arranged us to have uh, be on the team bus, hmm. which we never did. I think I had only been on the team bus one other time in four years, but we were going to travel down to Philly. The bus was leaving from the PFC. Tom was going to drive, pick up the equipment at the station and drive to the PFC. I was going to walk from Tower E to the PFC. We'd meet, we'd go. And that was what it was supposed to be. I get down there and uh, Jim Sheehan, who was the sports information director, was mm-hmm. there and he was giving me a look, shaking his head. I'm like, what did I What did I do? I didn't do anything. I just got here. And he said, uh, the, the coach, who was uh, Butch Van Bredekoff, who could be a kind of a prickly character, um, said he didn't want the radio guys on the bus. And he says, nothing you did. You didn't do anything wrong. Didn't say anything. He just didn't want you guys on the bus. But he said, if you want, I could drive you down in my car if you need a ride down to down to Philadelphia. And I said, well, that's really going to be up to Tom. He should be here any second with the, with the stuff, and he can decide what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So Tom shows up. He said he didn't have a problem driving down because he knew the radio station would reimburse him for gas and tolls and everything. So we drive down and do the game that way. So I get in Tom's car. We pull out because he wanted to gas up the car. As we're gassing up, I just kind of said, hey, Tom, you know how to get to this place? <laughs> I'd, I'd, never been, I'd never been there. And this is before GPS and right. Siri and, and you know Alexa and Google Maps. And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we'd already pulled out of the school. We were on Hempstead Turnpike gassing up. And I'm like, wait a minute. I think I checked my media guide. I had the Drexel media guide. I'm pretty sure they have directions to the school. And I'm flipping through the pages, flipping through the pages, and they did. Okay, great. I know I, we can get there. Perfect. We're all excited. We start driving. It's about a two and a half hour drive, give, give or take. And we're on the turnpike. We're south of Newark, south of New Brunswick. And all of a sudden, we just stopped dead. Mm. I mean, they were, both sides. No one's moving either side, and we're just sitting there. It's like, eh, traffic jam. We had, we certainly had enough time to get there. Um, but we're waiting and we're sitting there 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and we haven't moved. Oh my gosh. And we're kind of in that nowhere's land on the turnpike where you're not really near a rest stop and you're not really near an exit either. Yeah. So you're kind of like, and there's no way to call anybody. It's not like mm-hmm. you can get out and make a phone call. So you're like, huh. And so another 15 minutes pass. And I say, you know, let, let's put on the radio and see if there's a traffic report, something, anything. And uh, puts on the radio, and sure enough, yep, uh, accident on the turnpike, both lanes close, fatal bus accident, a bus collides with a tractor trailer, uh, emergency vehicles en route. And we look at each other in mm. shock and horror, thinking, did we just have a Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, Waylon Jennings moment that we were going to be on a bus that it was involved in a fatal crash and we just, and they decided not to put us on the bus and we're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And then, you know, common sense sort of took over and said, it's probably not that bus. Mm-hmm. It's most, it's most likely not that bus. You don't think it's that bus. No, it can't be that bus. Well, there's no way they'd be ahead of us. First of all, not by that much. They pulled out shortly after us. They wouldn't be ahead of us that far down on the turnpike. So we're like, okay, it's not them. Okay. That's good news. And the other good news is 
they're probably in the same traffic jam that we're in. Mm -hmm. So if we can't get to the game on time, it's highly unlikely that the team is going to get to the game on time. So that's good news. But the bad news is we're stuck and can't tell anybody. So we were in this traffic jam for about two hours, I'd say, before we started moving. And we had a choice to make. Do we stop at a, at, a, at a rest stop or an exit, call the station and, um, you know, tell them what's going on? Or do we just hoof it, book it, get there as fast as we can and call them once we're at, at the site? And we decided to do that. We decided to let's get down there as fast as, as, as we can and, uh, and, and, and worry about the consequences later. We get to the, we get to the, uh, to the gym. I get the equipment out. Tom parks the car. I'm hauling this thing in, and the place is pretty empty. Hmm. There's nobody really in the stands. There's a few people. There's certainly nobody on the court. Uh, security guard wants to know what's you know what's going on. I, I tell them I'm from Hofstra Radio, and they said, well, the team's not here yet. They're apparently stuck in traffic. It isn't going to be here for another half hour. We're going to delay the game. If they get here within a half hour, it'll start a half hour after they get here and any fans that were here, they can come back, they can come back in. But we didn't miss the good news is we didn't miss anything. The bad news is the pregame show has started. Yeah. At, right. So I said, okay, great. So I put the equipment on a on, on the press table. Tom shows up. I go, start setting up. I'll make the call to the station. Call the station. Stephen Oling answers just and you know, ap- apoplectic. What's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. What's going on? What are you doing? I'm like, thanks for caring. Thanks for worrying about us. Appreciate it. Your concern is is heartwarming. Uh, we're okay. We're, everything's fine. <laughs> but you know, but this is what was this is what was happening. We'll be fine. You can come to us. We'll be set up in about 15, 20 minutes. You can come to us and we can set the stage, but there's not going to be a game for a good hour until the team the team was a good half hour away and they said there was going to be a half hour right. you know to change and, and get going and the game itself was pretty un- uneventful it was a regular you know what Hofstra normally does on the road they lost and but it, it was a, nothing nothing special about it except it happened and then you know the, the two and a half hour drive home was un- uneventful too right. but it was just the, the the trip from the trip from hell and it was a very fitting ending to my college radio <laughs> career bookending what happened you know four years earlier uh at the at the stadium and i didn't go on the air again for another you know 29 years until tony sabilla calls me up and asked me if i wanted to do high school football with him in pennsylvania so that so that so that was that was the in-between of 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 my of being on the air yeah, I, gosh, it's it's hard to follow up an experience like that. Again, <laughs> the game is rather mundane, but the experience is just yes. wow. That's and and you know, I, I I'm I'm so empathizing with the the anxiety of like, well, we're here in traffic, and again, today you can just text oh, someone yeah. or, or or communicate instantly, and you're just out there in no man's land. There's no way to communicate, and you're dealing with paper maps. I mean, even if you could get off the turnpike at that point. Who knows where the heck you are and and how to right. get from point A to point B? You'd have to figure that out. But yeah, gosh. I didn't I didn't know I didn't know what exit eight of the of the turnpike even was. I, right. The only time I I knew exit seven A was Great Adventure. I yep. could go there. Yeah. Uh, but anything <laughs> anything south of anything between New Brunswick and Great Adventure wouldn't couldn't be able to tell you. Um, but yeah, so it was it was just uh, 
But Tom did a great job, and I know he would he did a lot better than I would have been able to do uh, dealing with all the stress of having to you know to drive down there and not knowing not knowing where where he's going, and then just you know being out of breath and take take your breath. Okay, we're set up, we're going, and let's do a basketball game like nothing had happened. And he, he and he did a did a really good job. Mm. So so once you guys were set up and and you contacted Stephen and said okay the, so how was there a break in between or did you guys just stretch the pregame show until the game started? Yeah, I, I think we may have gone on for just like a couple of a couple of minutes to do a and uh, say we're here we're fine everything's good um, it's going to be a basketball game it's going to be a, and we may have talked with the. Uh, we may have talked with the person doing updates. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really don't remember much about the game. Once we set the equipment up, everything else was sort of a bl- is sort of a blur on yeah. um, how and how the broadcast went. But I just remember knowing that they were on the air when we were still running in, when we were running into the building trying to set up, and they having no idea that the game had been delayed and had been delayed. So. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just sort of broadcasting into space, not knowing, and yeah, right. I can I can feel the anxiety on both sides and and the and the stress level. It, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter what the what the game would have been afterwards. It just would have right. Uh, but did you ever find what was there ever a reason given for not letting you guys on the bus, or is it just he just didn't feel like it? It just wasn't a thing that was done. Yeah, it was it was important. It just it just he just mm. you know the, the coach was. Uh, you know, was was a character. Yeah. You know, to Jim Sheehan's credit, he offered he offered to drive us, and we would have. Um, but then we would have been the three of us in in Jim's car <laughs> for <laughs> three hours, <laughs> and and then the team would have been. He would have been also worrying about what is the team doing, and he had his own responsibilities yeah. as the SID, and it would have just been even more, uh, you know, more chaos and 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 consternation. Yeah, I'd I'd love to get Jim's take on that. I'm sure he's got tons of great stories. But uh, thank you for sharing that. Is there a story that you rarely tell or or haven't thought of in a long time when you think about your time at the station? Um, no, I just I just think of all the, the some really nice people and some some fun times. Uh, obviously, you've, I think a number of people have told that airwave remote story from mm-hmm. Colonial Square. It's infamous and. I, I know I appear on an, on the air check. I, I was there, and as I, I've only been to Colonial Square twice in, in, in the four years, and once, and both times were for the radio station. Once was to interview Tom Salamone for a halftime feature my freshman year, and the other was that that airwave show. Um, and I know I think I had the phone to my to my ear, and I, I said something on the air. I, I wanted a Sex Pistols song played. Um, but uh, that 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 was it. But most of the, most of the stories I could tell, other than you know what, so here we go. Stu and I are doing a game in Gettysburg, Gettysburg College, a football game, and we fly to we fly to some godforsaken thing. I think we flew to Baltimore and then from Baltimore to Harrisburg and then drove from Harrisburg to Gettysburg. Yeah. Would have been would have been faster to walk, but that's how Stu did the. Did the, did the travel? We did the did the game relatively uneventful. Get back about three days later. A letter shows up at the station addressed to Stu, and it's from a person, a guy, a, a, a graduate of Gettysburg College, mm-hmm. 
who now may have even played for the may have even played football in the seventies. Now he lives on Long Island. He works in the city. He married a Long Island girl. He lives. He lives on the island and was hoping that the radio station was broadcasting the game mm. and how he would listen to the game and how much he enjoyed it. And what a, and even though Hofter won the game, he just felt it brought back a lot of memories of, of, of Gettysburg and it was great and that he, what a great job that he did during the game. And Stu was beaming for, yeah. for a week. And I just kept thinking, man, I should really write a letter every week for Stu from some other, every time he does a game, I should just have a, a letter from somewhere. It's like, oh, that would be so just great. It's like, oh yes, I'm a graduate of Towson State and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, it was great that you did the game. I, I regret that. I, that would have been fun. I could have, I could have, I could have had that over him for years and years and years. But oh. that, <laughs> that, that's funny, but you know it, it, it's funny that oftentimes doing college radio, especially in the middle of the night or on a weekend, you're like, is anybody listening? And just the fact that this person took the time to write a letter, yes. which again is you know not something that anybody takes the time to do anymore, but wrote a letter to say thank you for for broadcasting this game and just how awesome that, and it makes you think, well, how many other people were you reaching? And and you know, missed opportunities aside for for long term jokes on, on our friends, that's that's really meaningful. That's what a wonderful story. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, is there uh, a story or a song or an event or a game that kind of defines your time at the station? Well, I think all of those stories was pretty much definitive. It's sort of like uh, it was chaotic and fun and, 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 and friendship and some drunken debauchery mi mm. mixed in, uh, especially the, the Wake Forest trip with Tony once we thought that there wasn't going to be a game. Um, we decided to kind of... <laughs> Let, let loose a little bit and the let, let's just say the Hartford women's basketball team could really drink um the you know and and there was you know we're it is the south so mad dog 2020 is always involved um so that, that i think that kind of epitomizes uh epitomizes college radio for me uh <laughs> at the time yeah, so it's not just one thing; it's but the the collective experience. That's that's cool. It's a, a consistent yeah. uh, bunch of fun and and problem solving and chaos all at the same time. That's great. Yeah, and 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 I learned on a road trip uh, that I took with Steve Goldman to New Orleans. Uh, we were playing Tulane, and um, I had been to New Orleans many times since, but I wasn't yet twenty one when I made that trip. So I was it was the fall of eighty nine. I wasn't twenty one yet. And I didn't get to fully appreciate the full New Orleans experience. Yeah. And Steve, and, and, and even, the, even the culinary experience, I just remember being, I don't know why, maybe it was just close to the hotel. We were in a food court in New Orleans and eating pizza. No. And a Sparrow's pizza in New Orleans. And I'm thinking, this isn't right. This doesn't seem right to me. Hmm. That we're in New Orleans <laughs> eating pizza, you know, before before a basketball game, something something's not not right. And uh, I and I love Steve, and I, I I always wondered like, Steve, didn't you want to have crawfish? Didn't you want to try some some, some right. kind of beignets? Anything? Um, years later, we I, I rectified that, but I, I I think I think of that story a lot, and I think of being in San Diego with Steve Oling. Over New Year's, it was a New Year's trip. It was um, 
God, it was nine, must have been 90 into 91. Mm-hmm. And it was a trip. We went to Gonzaga in Spokane, Washington, and then went to San Diego. And Spokane, Washington, with the wind chill was like 10 below. And then San Diego was 75. And wondering why people, why everyone in the world doesn't live in San Diego because it was so wonderful. Yeah. But the thing about San Diego, driving from the airport to the hotel, if you've ever been to San Diego, the streetlights are on the side of the streets, like where the crosswalks are. They aren't in the middle of the intersection, hanging like they are in New York. Uh So I would say Stephen must have ran six red lights going from the airport. And I'm in the passenger seat, just like cowering in fear, like, Jesus, whoa, are you even trying? Are you even? (laughs) And he's just, and and, and Stephen, God bless him, just oblivious, like, what? What what? There are traffic lights here. These These are actual things rules on the road you have to follow and he's like oh i didn't see them like obviously <laughs> so that was that, that was that was also a, you know epitomized epitomized college for me lesson learned on how to how to drive and drive in california thankfully the university probably didn't know about all these shenanigans and and oh. sending these young men out into the world to go cover sports and all the things that happened very uh, very silly the things that we were that we were that we were supposedly being responsible for but right. uh, nope, nobody get hurt nobody get hurt all good <laughs> Um, we were talking earlier about the difference between the HT, HTV stuff and all the, the, the grant stuff that you would have to do. And you made a, a conscious decision to sort of step back a little bit and, and only concentrate on a little bit of stuff at the, at the radio station. Was there ever a moment where you're like, I, I just can't do this at all. I'm not going to do anything. Or, or was it, uh, were you able to manage that all the way through? No, I was able to do the, the, the few games. I, I kind of told Steve and Steven, that you know, I think road trips to Bucknell and Towson were were kind of out of the question because that's four hours each way, right. and that was you know I, I had a, a, a lot of seven a.m. calls and a lot of five p.m. Uh, crew calls. You mm-hmm. know, post mortem. You know, we we tape a show at HTV. We tape a show from three to five, and at five o'clock you have a production meeting. No way I could get back to do, you know, to do that. So. The games I did, home games, Saturday games. Um, I could do I could do updates for a game that started at seven o'clock. If I if, even if I was doing a uh, doing an HTV, you know, doing an HTV show, I can get there and still be able to you know prep somewhat and, and write a write a thing for the for a pregame show. Um, but uh, certainly certainly did less. And I'm I'm coming back to one more story if you mm-hmm. if you sure. if you grant me please um that that really does epitomize it it would have been my freshman year pete caldera was one of our was one of the sports guys and Stu, who was sports director was mad at pete because pete never wanted to engineer pete always he wanted to he wanted to do his games you know do updates be on the air but that was pretty much it he wasn't technically Savvy had no interest in setting up during the remotes and and engineering, but he said you have to engineer this game. It was a women's game at the PFC. Mm-hmm. Tony was doing the game at the PFC. I was doing updates, and during the game, you know, there's a timeout. Comes back, they play music. I give the update. 
back to the, you know, and, and bring it back to the game. They had all these carts that had the music beds on them. And I guess one of the carts that was in there, but wasn't an official music bed cart, mm-hmm. was the song Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> Except it was all done on kazoo. Oh, no. So picture a kazoo version for Hooray for Hollywood. So Tony, and I'm pretty sure Tony has the tape still. Tony says, you know, let's go back to let's go back to Hofstra Sports Control for an update. You hear this kazoo. And I'm and I'm just like, what? <laughs> and I start I start to lose it. It's like, really? This is what he's playing? He's playing Hooray for Hollywood on Kazoo. And I'm reading scores, and I'm pretty sure I'm mentioning at the time Jimmy the Greek had his issues with, oh, with CBS. Yeah. He had, he had yeah. said so it was a fairly serious news story as well, with this underneath it. And I'm trying not to not to crack and failing miserably. And finally, I just I, I send it back to Tony, who's also kind of at a loss, at a loss. And, and Pete's like, "Well, you wanted me to. You wanted me to engineer. This is what happens." So that was that was the Pete Caldera hooray for Hollywood. He'll never engineer another show in this town again. That's funny. That's good. Um, I mean, so many of the stories that you're telling have, have this humorous edge to them or, or the backstory. Um, is there a, a, a story or an event that always makes you crack up that always, always gives you a good chuckle? Well, those were them. Yeah. <laughs> those were them. I got, I, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking back and I'm like, yep, those road trips, those hooray for, hooray for Hollywood. It was the bus fire that we thought could have been us or could have been the team. Um, it was, Tony's luggage getting lost and 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 hanging out and, and hanging out with Hartford, um, yeah, that 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 was that that's that that's a, that's a radio career in a nutshell, and obviously being friends with uh, with with everybody there, yeah, and having and unfortunately still having somewhat of a social media relationship um, with with many of them, yeah. Um, it's so great that, that you and Tony have, have, have done those games together. And I guess my next question is a, is a hypothetical, but if you, if you got a chance, if you got a call from, from John Mullen or someone at the station today and said, we need, we need someone to come in and, and do a show, uh, two part question. One, which, would you do it? And two, if you had the opportunity, what kind of show would you want to produce or host? No, I'm, I'm there in a heartbeat. I'm yeah. there in a heartbeat. You know, you know, wouldn't have to ask me twice. Um, you know, I, you know, I sometimes, you know, I, I lament that, you know, I, I know in my, in my head that I, I made the right call, you know, veering away from on air yeah. and, and doing that and doing that. I know, I know it's the right call and I've had a, an amazing career, but part of me wishes that I had the, I had, I had the balls to do it, to try it. Um, so any chance to get on the air like that? Oh yeah. And, and, and a heartbeat and it could be a Grateful Dead show. It could be a sports show. It could be, uh, it could be a music show. I'd be, I'd be into whatever they want to do. I'd rather not do Irish country. I'd rather not do, I'd rather not do, do that again. Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, but um, I, I think, it, I think I'd be better at it now than than I was when I was when I was nineteen. Oh, but you got a couple options there. That sounds, that sounds pretty fun. Sure. Um, what do you miss most about your time at the station? I really miss being nineteen and twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I really do. Uh, you know. I had hair. I had a lot of hair, and I was thin. So yeah, I was a. I was a, I was physically, you know, when you wake up and it's like, oh, my back hurts. My back yeah. didn't hurt in 1990. It really didn't. Uh, so I missed that. Um, and obviously, I, I work now. I work remotely. 
Yeah. And I love the people that I work with at NBC. I never see them. I never see them. And I've worked with show units now for three years almost, and I haven't met any of them. Yeah. And they're all wonderful. They're all wonderful people, but I don't know them. And I kind of miss, you know, being in, you know, being in an office, you know, not commuting, but I didn't have to commute at Hofstra. It was a very nice walk from Tower E to to the radio station or from Tower E to Dempster. So I didn't feel like I was commuting even when the weather was bad, but I do miss that. I do miss being with actual people at times that I don't really get that now, even though I love my work and love my job and love what I do and even who I, and who I do it for. But I do miss just having, you know, people to talk to. Oh, it's lunchtime coming down from bits and bites with a, with a, with a tray and, and talking to who's ever at the, who's ever at the desk, whether it's yeah. Mark or Day or, or Jack Staczynski, who, who unfortunately is no longer with us, or Dave Mock, who's unfortunately no longer with mm-hmm. us. Um, just to, you know, just to see, to see them and, 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 and talk sports with them would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned your career after Hofstra Radio and, and all the work that you've done with NBC and, and, and I'm sure we could spend tons of time talking about your accomplishments, but what, what were the things that you brought from, from Hofstra radio? And I guess to, to some extent, uh, a big extent to, from HTV, what did you bring from Hofstra with you into your professional adult, adult life? Um, well, especially from, from HTV, I said how the TV industry can be pretty clicky mm-hmm. and I, and, and I kind of like learned that and I was like, Oh, this kind of applies. I see. And somewhat dealing with administ with administration is sort of like dealing with a network executive or an mm. executive producer and kind of being able to read the room. I'm a, I'm an editor, I'm a video editor. And when you're working like now I work totally unsupervised, but back then I worked with a producer sitting behind me, sometimes two producers behind me, and some had a very good idea of what they wanted and some had no idea what they wanted and being able, and I, and I learned how to basically read a room from that, from, from, from Hofstra saying, Oh, they, they want my, they want my input or no, they don't want my input at all. They want me to shut up and, and hit buttons mm. and knowing and knowing which was the case, especially early in my career when they didn't know me as well. And, you know, editors were just not people who spoke up because that was the job back then. It's much different as the technology changed, but I kind of learned to read, read people, especially people in higher positions, mm. uh, and I learned that at, at Hofstra. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great lesson. And it's not in any kind of curriculum or, you know, any kind of paper that you can write. That's the experience of, of working in different environments and different people. That's, that's great stuff. Um, right. one, one, one of the things people often email or ask me is like, well, what, what is so-and-so doing now? So you've mentioned a couple of times uh, the work that you do now and you're remotely. But would you mind talking a little bit more about your career and what you've done since Hofstra? Oh, well, geez, since Hofstra? God, 30 (laughs) years. Um, But let's just say since 1996, I've been a video editor at uh, NBC News. I started with uh, MSNBC when it was a startup. And uh, I've gone, you know, as I've gone from there, I've worked on all the the major shows, a couple of nightly episodes, a couple of Today Show episodes, Dateline. Uh, For the last, I was in the long form unit for many years, the documentary unit Mm -hmm. for, for both MSNBC um and nbc and for the last since covid i've been working mainly with the dateline syndication unit okay um working with them working with the richard engel uh unit out of the london bureau working with the london producers and actually in the last 
I actually did a couple of projects with Dateline Podcasts, which was fun as all hell because I was editing and doing some sound design, which I never really did even when I worked at the radio station. But now I'm editing, was editing sound design and, and doing some music, a lot of music mixes and not having to worry about the picture because it's mm-hmm. obviously a podcast. So I've been, been doing that and been with them since 1996. And uh, they told me that uh, I was no longer needed to work in the building at 30 Rock. So moved the family down to Central Florida. I've been down here for three years and it's been great. Wow. Wow. It's hard to imagine that, you know, back in, in the late 80s, early 90s, the, the opportunities that would uh, happen because of technology and change. I mean, you've done so many amazing things. I, I'm sure we could spend hours talking about it, but uh, just to be able to work on this uh, amazing content and productions and you can do it remotely, you can do it from, from just about anywhere and work with people from all around the world. It's just, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a totally different industry than it was obviously when, when you started, I mean, the basics are the same, but the, the technology is, is, is ridiculous that you could, you know, do this from your, from your house on a, on a PC and, and the equipment that I work on is so really rudimentary than it was when I was, then it started. It's smaller. It's a p. You know, it's it's, it's a computer. I got two twenty-four inch monitors. My home office looks like my accountant's office. Mm. It doesn't look like a TV studio. It certainly doesn't. And yet, we we make Dateline out of it. We make we make you know night, nightly news out of it. We make we make TV shows out of it. And uh, it, it's it's great not have to uh, not have to take a bus, not have to take a subway, mm-hmm. and uh, just deliver files, and uh, it gets to where it needs to go. Yeah. And you started off with, you know, quarter inch tape and turn pots and all that kind of stuff. And now everything's on a, on a laptop or on a screen. It's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I think about, I think about, you know, cause audio editing for me was a bear. I yeah. could not do it. And same thing with editing with super eight film. My, I just didn't have the dexterity in my hands. It was like cutting with the razor blade and moving everything with your hands and finding the exact point. It was a struggle. I would have struggled if I took two track. Yeah. Um, and video editing in the fifties, you were cutting with the razor blade, but really since the sixties and seventies, it was computer-based editing. It made sense to me. You could enter a frame number manually and it would go to the frame and you could trim frames electronically. You didn't have to cut. Hmm. So you could go within a 30th of a second and find the right frame that you're looking for, as opposed to audio where you're imagine having a, you know, one, you know, one frame of, of audio of quarter inch tape and then having to re having to re retape it together, resplice it together. It was, it was a bear. So I, I, I'm very thankful that the technology existed as it was because I wouldn't have been able to edit, be an editor in radio or film. Hmm. In the late in the late eighties, early nineties, the technology hadn't caught up. Now it has. All the films are edited very much the same way TV's edited, and uh, radio, obviously, the audio workstations, very very similar programs too. Yeah, wow. So I, what, I, I hit I hit the I hit the right sweet sweet spot. Yeah, gosh, what a journey. Um, if you could time travel for sixty seconds and go back and talk to eighteen year old version of yourself and give a piece of advice what would you say i can't say that on the radio i can't say <laughs> I, I mean, I can't, right now. can't do that but I, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't take 60 seconds it would be a very short terse conversation and it would be a very sage piece of advice which i will not share now 
All right. Fair enough. Would 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 the 18-year-old version of yourself have listened to that advice? Yes. Oh, wow. All right. Yes, he absolutely would have. He said, "Oh, look at this look at this pathetic old man. I don't want to be that." <laughs> yes, I will listen to you, sir. Yes, he would have listened. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, this has been so much fun, Marshall. Thank you so much for for sharing these stories and and your perspective and uh I I I got to figure out a way to come up with more questions because I, I just, I love okay. these stories so much. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, Brian. Have a happy holiday and happy new year.